from the editorial team at the Northeast News, I'm Elizabeth Orozco, and this is the Northeast Newscast, a weekly podcast where we sit down with community leaders and members to discuss important topics and all things Kansas City. As we usher in Black History Month, celebrating and remembering important figures and moments and honoring the accomplishments of Black Americans in our history, we'll be highlighting Black voices for the entire month of February. This week, we discuss one of Kansas City's greatest gems, the American Jazz Museum. Located in the historic 18th and Vine Jazz District in Kansas City, the American Jazz Museum showcases the sights and sounds of jazz through interactive exhibits and films, the changing gallery exhibit space, the Visitor Center, the Blue Room Jazz Club, and the Gym Theater. Since its inception in 1997, it hosts thousands of students, scholars, musicians, and fans of the arts, providing an opportunity to learn about the legends, honor their legacy, or simply enjoy the sounds of modern-day jazz. Well, certainly the history, right? I mean, that neighborhood was really deep within just being kind of the center of culture that was happening, center of the black community in terms of history, in terms of folks who were really contributing to really the meaning of what Kansas City is all about. That is Rashida Phillips, executive director of the American Jazz Museum. Phillips recently took on the role with the start of the new year. She has spent the past 16 years at some of Chicago's most impactful organizations, including her most recent role as the Deputy Director and Senior Director of Community Ventures, organizing strategy, expansion, and turnaround at the Old Town School of Folk Music, the largest community art school in the nation. Today, she speaks with us about the contributions, assets, challenges, and future of the American Jazz Museum. This week's podcast is sponsored in part by the American Jazz Museum at 18th and Vine, celebrating 100 years of Charlie Parker. For a complete schedule of February events, please visit www.americanjazzmuseum.org forward slash events. All right. Well, welcome to the Northeast News. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We're here with Rashida Phillips. You are the new executive director of the American Jazz Museum. Thank you so much for spending your time with us this morning. Thank you for having me. Of course. So let's go ahead and dive right in. We're going to talk a little bit about the American Jazz Museum. We're going to talk about your role. We're going to talk about vision, the future, all things Kansas City. So while we get started, go ahead and tell us a little bit about you for people who might not be familiar with you. Okay, well, I'm a St. Louis woman, believe it or not, born and raised in St. Louis, Missouri, coming here by way of Chicago for the past 16 years. So I'm truly excited to get back to my home state. It's the show me state, so I'm ready to show some folks what we can continue to do here that's good and well in the Midwest. And, you know, excited to be in a winning hometown team going to the Super Bowl. So if timing works well, I think I picked a good time to come through. (laughs) Welcome back to Missouri. Thank you. Um, So you spent some time in Chicago, correct? That's correct. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, 16 years in Chicago. I worked with a variety of organizations, mostly through the fields of arts, education, community work, really ways in which that we could impact young people. We could impact those who were on the fringe and under-resourced communities, and really those who were really interested in arts and culture, not only as a way of life, but as a way through life. So immediately before I came here, I was at the Old Town School of Folk Music, which always confuses folks because they think folk, does that mean banjos? Does that mean guitar? What's happening there? But that organization was the largest community art school in the nation, believe it or not, and around for 60 years. So there was a lot of world music that was happening. There was the largest dance provider 
in the city. We had a lot of community programs that we were spreading out on the west and south sides. And if you know anything about Chicago, it's a city of neighborhoods. So it was really important as that organization that existed on the north side of the city to get out into the south and west sides of the community and partner with smaller organizations and folks there. So that can actually segue into my next question for you. So you spent some time out in Chicago. So tell me how you believe that that time prepared you for this role. Yeah, you know, I was working in the community venture sector there. And what was interesting about that, being a 60-year-old institution, is that, you know, they had been used to doing certain things a certain way since their inception. And they started out really kind of at the civil rights core, believe it or not, with a bunch of musicians and people coming together to think about voicing their rights, to think about communing together, healing together. And it really had blossomed into this huge organization for a community arts school. So our purpose, or at least I should say my purpose coming in, was to think about the future. You know, with a 60-year institution, things are kind of stuck, and they were trying to figure out a way to stretch themselves. They were trying to figure out a way to modernize themselves by bringing in new artistic mediums, artistic concepts, but really stretching out into community and partnerships beyond the immediate neighborhood that they were in. Now, without talking about the American Jazz Museum, we can't not talk about previous struggles of the American Jazz Museum, which I think a lot of Kansas Cityans kind of went through, saw the struggles dealt with, Mm -hmm. you know, as a hometown, just seeing that this museum maybe wasn't getting the attention that it needed. So tell us a little bit, I know you're very new to the role one month in, tell us a little bit about the struggles and kind of how you plan and to move forward with that. Yeah, well, I came from a turnaround situation, believe it or not. You know, we had to think about the finances there at my institution in Chicago. We had to think about ways to get the community to come through the doors and continue to support. So it's not unusual for me to sort of step into a situation that needs some some amount of fixing, but really a future-focused vision. And so, you know, I consider myself a visionary. I've had really a wide variety of experience in my background. I'm a jazz vocalist, so I certainly have that musician understanding and point of view. But being kind of a master administrator, I also understand the challenges with getting an organization to run properly, to look at the processes, to look at sustainability, to look at how to get itself sort of into whatever the next era is. And, you know, my understanding of the museum being around 20 years is that the roots are there. You know, it's a community asset. It's a beautiful space where we really are celebrating our contribution to not only the local sort of scene, but also the national and international importance of jazz music to America, quite honestly. You know, sometimes I know that gets a little cheesy to folks where they feel like American, American. But, you know, it really is something that we have developed here as a culture and as a country that we need to promote more. And coming here, you know, I'd like to see the city to sort of ramp up its local focus on coming through the doors, on celebrating, you know, the rich roots of what the place is. And Charlie Parker, you know, this is his centennial year, 100 years of Charlie Parker. If people really understood how bebop honestly changed the game and it changed the world, I think that they would, you know, be a little bit more focused on some of those potentials with jazz in terms of healing, in terms of being forward thinking. So it's a living music. I mean, I think that being in a hybrid institution, and by hybrid, I mean, not just the static museum itself, where you sort of come, you have an experience of looking and seeing, and then you leave. You can also participate in a performance at the gym theater, a performance at the Blue Room, and having the ability to really sort of step in and be involved in that experience in present moment, in present time, is critically important. 
So I know that, you know, there's been some financial struggle that I don't think is unique to really a lot of cultural institutions who are trying to find their place within sort of the modern world where we've got a digital scene, we've got a world scene, people get their arts and culture in different ways. But I think it's important to have bricks and mortar. I think it's important to have a place where you can come and commune with community, with musicians to live the art itself. And, you know, my vision coming here is to think grander, right? I know that there were some grand thoughts in terms of bringing a festival along the way a couple of years ago. But, you know, there's a there's a time and a place, I think, that's appropriate to celebrating the music and ways that we can all come together and support each other and not sort of put someone out on a limb to carry it on its own. Mm-hmm. When I come from a big city, you know, Chicago is the third, I think, third largest city at this point. There's a lot of big visioning happening there. But what worked in Chicago and worked well is that people were collaborating with each other. There was sort of a shift that was really happening in the field where a lot of institutions and a lot of organizations who might have sort of run the shift on their own, really took a step back and really looked at themselves and thought, we need to get out and partner with the community. We need to partner with the folks and not just look at people who might come into our institutions, but going out and sharing that pathway in between. So my vision, again, for the museum is that it's not just a static place. It's something that's organic. It's something that's going to grow. It's something that we're going to work with community because it's an asset for the community and they're helpful in us understanding what those next steps are. But You know, being a Smithsonian affiliate, we've got some really good examples of strong institutions. You know, the African-American Museum that's happening in the D.C. area is a phenomenal institution. And I've mentioned to people what really struck me in my visit there is that you saw a lot of intergenerational connections that were happening. So everyone that stepped into that museum from toddler on up to elder were really moved by their experience there. So I'd like to see the same happen at the American Jazz Museum. There are probably a lot of people in the Kansas City area who haven't been to the Jazz Museum in a while. Mm -hmm. Um, So let's talk a little bit about what you would say are some of the major assets inside the museum that maybe could warrant a revisit. I mean, the whole museum itself is such an asset, like you said, and such a gem. But talk to us a little bit about specifically the assets that you have, or we have as a city at the museum. Well, certainly that Charlie Parker Grafton saxophone is breathtaking. You know, when you think about the legacy of Charlie Parker, and you think that he actually utilized this instrument, and it's such a unique instrument being that it was made of plastic the way that it was manufactured the sort of way that it gleams when you look at it it's really extraordinary so I really you know welcome folks to come down and take a deeper and closer look at that instrument and think about uh, the concert that he played it in and even listen to that concert you know on their way down because it really is a remarkable concert for jazz history not only that you know some of the artifacts that we have in the Ella Fitzgerald's dress there's nothing you can't underestimate sort of seeing something life-size in front of you you can only imagine when you're listening to a recording or maybe you're looking at a video. But when you see it in front of you, you get a sense of the stature of that person. You get a sense a sense of sort of the weight and her contribution. You know, and what another thing that really drew me to the museum was the Mary Lou Williams selection that we have there in the Blue Room. There are a few pieces from her collection from the Institute of Jazz Studies, which is near and dear to me because I worked on that collection at the Institute of Jazz Studies. So when I came to visit the museum, I had a moment there, you know, where you sort of see the pathways, you understand what led you to a place. And for me, connecting those dots in my life was priceless. So I, you know, I welcome everyone to come have an experience like that at the museum to sort of play, to see, to seek, to listen, and really kind of find themselves in a place of history.
Thank you to the American Jazz Museum for sponsoring this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. This month at the American Jazz Museum, celebrate 100 years of Charlie Parker history. For more information and a complete schedule of events, visit the website at www.americanjazzmuseum.org forward slash events. Um, so you were in the heart of the 18th and Vine District. Tell us a little bit about why you believe 18th and Vine District is so important specifically to Kansas City. Well, certainly the history, right? I mean, that neighborhood was really deep within just being kind of the center of culture that was happening, center of the black community in terms of history, in terms of folks who were really contributing to really the meaning of what Kansas City is all about, you know, which is just innovating in ways that we probably don't quite understand sometimes outside of ourselves. And I feel like we've got amazing neighbors there. I mean, the Negro League Baseball Museum, right there in the same space. It can't get any better than that. You know, we've got the Mutual Musicians Foundation right down the street. We've got Friends of Alvin Ailey a half a block away. We've got Mid-America Archives there. So when you get there, you realize that there's assets all around you, right? That you're not just coming to one space only, but there's an opportunity to really sort of walk through that neighborhood and take in all of those experiences as a destination. You know, I'm really excited about what I'm hearing in terms of tourism, whether that's new hotels coming through, new airports opening up, ways in which that we can get folks here to Kansas City and have a place to go to. And I think 18th and Vine absolutely needs to be on that level of, you know, whether it's Beale Street or whether it's some of the places down in New Orleans or Nashville, or et cetera, where you have true destination cities and places to go. So 18th and Vine is one of those. Yeah. Um, I know that you did touch on this briefly um, just a moment ago, but maybe we can dive a little bit further into it. Tell me a little bit about maybe your personal goals mm-hmm. for the museum specifically. Gosh, my personal goals is really just to elevate it. Being inside of the music, for me, I'm a natural fan, right? For me, this is a dream come true. And I want people to also have that experience when they walk into the door that they realize this is a dream. This is an experience to be central in. And so, again, I'd like to see floods of folks coming through the door and really chattering about not only the collection that we have, but the programs that we're offering. So I'm looking to update some of our public programs and give folks a reason to return because there's some folks I know that have come through and they feel like, oh, well, we've seen it. You know, maybe we'll get back there years and years from now. But no, come back. You know, there's a reason to come back. There's a reason to activate what we have on display there. And really just thinking about refreshing and revamping what we have there and hopefully expanding one day soon. And I have a little uh, five-year-old daughter that I think would be important to mention that it's very family-friendly. Like you have so many interactive things for kids, so it's not just really anybody can come and learn and take away what they can from the museum. Mm-hmm. Um, so tell us a little bit about maybe all the different age-friendly things yeah. that you guys Yeah, well, we certainly have jazz storytelling that happens uh, at the museum, which is a wonderful event for folks to come to and listen and learn and storytelling, story-making, just the literacy and learning that can happen there is important. And it had the musical element involved in it too mm-hmm. is critical. I come from a place of arts integration, so having arts alongside learning 
learning is critically important. We also have a jazz academy program for folks who are, or young people, I should say, that are interested in learning instruments, that are interested in stretching their vocal cords. And that combo program has really been rewarding, I think, for those participating in it. As well as, you know, we've had students go on to get full scholarships at conservatories to continue their studies, you know, abroad in different places playing their instruments. So the Jazz Academy happens on the Saturdays as well. You know, our Blue Room also offers a Blue Monday jam series for all ages to come through and showcase their talent. And the club itself really is open to all ages. So we really invite anyone and everyone to come down. Um, So February is Black History Month. And I would love to talk to you Mm -hmm. a little bit about the importance of jazz through the lens of Black History Month. And you're a jazz vocalist. I mean, you've studied jazz you have lived jazz. So kind of tell us a little bit about that perspective. Yeah, I had a staff member, you know, remind me that we're Black History Month 365 days a year. So certainly we don't want to just limit it to the month itself. But, you know, having that that period to highlight the accomplishments coming from the Black community is, is wonderful. And like I said, there's some icons there, I think, that celebrate at the museum, whether it's Louis Armstrong, whether it's Ella Fitzgerald, Duke Ellington. You realize that folks have participated and contributed to a canon of history and of music that is really profound. And so, you know, I like to invite people through every day of the year, but certainly the Black History Month is a great time to sort of come in and dig in for students who want to do a little bit of research and get a little bit of extra background and see Louis Armstrong's lip balm, <laughs> you know, there next to a trumpet and kind of get, yeah, sort of get those everyday objects in mind, but also dig a little bit more into the bio on the contributions of, of those icons and more. We've got quite a few at the museum. Um, So speaking of that word contributions, what do you believe the contributions of jazz? I mean, this honestly could probably be a whole separate podcast in itself. Um, But tell me from your perspective, what do you believe the contributions of jazz are maybe looking through just Kansas citywide? That's right. I think it's a lingering legacy. Uh, You know, I know we have a Miles Davis documentary coming up soon. We'll have a showing at the museum itself. But before I moved to Kansas City, I actually viewed that documentary. And what really impressed me about Miles, and there were quite a few things that were impressive about Miles, is that, you know, he, my understanding is that he tried to hang with Charlie Parker. You know, Charlie Parker, Dizzy Gillespie, they were on a different level than Miles. It wasn't better or worse. But they were miles ahead, miles ahead, you know, not to sort of put that in quotations. They were moving so fast through that bebop music that Miles really found himself trying to figure out his own way through the music. And I mentioned that Miles because he was always updating himself. Mm-hmm. You know, Quincy Jones is another icon that comes to mind who's always future focused. And so they would create music, they would be history makers and sort of legacy makers, but they understood that that legacy carried on, it carried into the future. So that's really the way that I see the museum and I see my role as a steward, of course, of a collection of preserving all of these wonderful artifacts and making sure that other folks can view them, but also thinking forward. You know, this is something that that just has not stopped. I mean, every day I'm sort of listening to someone new or I'm getting up and I'm dancing to something new. I was doing Latin jazz this morning and it's living it's moving and so I just want folks to really understand that again this is something that will continue beyond us and to take a moment and sort of center ourselves within the culture and within the music is critically important what would you want to tell the community or what would you want them to know about the American Jazz Museum who experienced the struggles they've experienced maybe they've gone and haven't come back in a while Mm -hmm. um 
and now we have a wonderful new executive director. What would you tell them about the American Jazz Museum right now? You know, I'd say take a look around and see what's in our backyard. This is a wonderful sports town, so we know the fans are out there. We've got a critical population here who can get out and support and cheer on. So I say cheer on some of these local cultural institutions as well. We have, you know, a decent amount of international visitors that come through, and we certainly experience that with music like jazz music all over the country where folks are coming from other nations and other countries and sort of, going wild about what we have created here. But sometimes we let that drift along the wayside. I think sometimes we sort of think, oh, you know, we're into hip hop now. So what what is jazz? I want folks to continue to connect to it. You know, I consider myself that kind of person that I want to connect that to the young people too. So bringing young folks through the museum, bringing young folks to the events and really making those connections to what they are listening and learning today, I think is important. And just remember that, again, when we think about vacation, when we think about being tourists, being tourists in, is your, in your own city is really wonderful. You know, that's there are moments where you can kind of either do a staycation or you just, you know, you take a moment where you think about, well, what if what if this was all new to me? You know, what kind of experience would I have here to go visit this place and to go s- sort of really experience what we have here to offer? And, you know, the spotlight is on Casey with the Chiefs right now. And, you know, for us to see ourselves anew is is a wonderful opportunity. Um, I know that you also have a lot of great events coming up. Um, so maybe highlight some of the events that you have and where people can get more information. Yeah, well, we've got this amazing Mardi Gras event coming up in February. It's February 25th, which is exciting. The Northeast Chamber of Commerce is going to come on over and help sponsor that event. So we'll look for a large rowdy crowd to come through and celebrate Mardi Gras with us. And I just invite people to check our website. We've got jazz storytelling coming up. We've got various events happening in the Blue Room. So just check out our website and see what we have coming through the museum. Visit our website at AmericanJazzMuseum.org. Do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners today? You know, I just want to thank the listeners. I just want to thank all of the folks that I've met so far. I've been here about a month at this point. I've been nonstop since I hit the ground, and everyone I've met is enthusiastic. Not only because I've arrived, but enthusiastic about the potential of the museum. And I know that it had some strife, you know, the past years coming before I came aboard, and we had a wonderful interim director. But I just want to say, just keep working with us. Yeah, I'm looking forward to sort of digging in and holding hands with this community because we've got something really special here. I feel special. I feel enthusiastic about it. And I hope that everyone will come along too. Wonderful. Well, thank you again so much for joining us this morning. I appreciate your time. Thank you. Of course. And that was Rashida Phillips, Executive Director of the American Jazz Museum. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Northeast Newscast. I'm Elizabeth Roscoe.